0: Uh, welcome to Afraid of Foursquare Church. My name is Blake Barnes and I'm the lead pastor here and we are so excited to have you here. We believe that God deeply desires to know you and for you to know God and there's there's difference between knowing about God and knowing God right knowing him intimately and so it's our desire that that everybody in our community and and this in this county would know God and uh, that that what is happening in this church would spill out it would leak out into the community And, uh, we're gonna be in Psalm 100 today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there to Psalm 100. I'll be reading from the NIV mostly today if you're gonna be using your Bible app. Uh, this Psalm that we're reading today is all about praise. So let me ask you, what is praise? It's the fast songs, right? Right? When we talk about praise and worship, worship are the songs that are led by the piano and the violin. And praise, they have loud drums and electric guitar, right? That's what praise is. Well, I remember, I, before I came to this church, I was a worship pastor for the past seven years. And I remember as a young worship leader, uh, I was leading worship for a bunch of students, and I was leading students into praise. And uh and, and and my whole image of, of what praise is is just loud, fast music. Give him, you know, really energetic songs and energetic praise. And I remember one time I was leading a team of really fresh worship people. Really it was a really green team. They were all kind of new musicians, they were young musicians, and so on. um we had a lot of practice time, a lot of time was put into putting putting this worship set together. And um it's time to start and the drummer This is you know, the drummer looks at looks at me and I look at him and he he counts us off. We're all supposed to come in the song together. So the drummer goes, Okay, here we go. One, two, three, four, and we all go in and it sounds like a train wreck just sounds like something is dying in the back of the room just terrible and i i'm just you can visibly you can visibly see me doing this i'm leading worship and praise and i have a scowl on my face i am wondering who is messing this song up so I w- start walking around to every musician on stage. I go to the, the bass player, and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, are you the one screwing this up? And I go over to the keyboard player, and I'm like, I'm still playing. We're still in the intro of the song, but I'm going, are you messing this up? Why is this sounding so terrible? I go to the uh, electric player in the back. Are you messing this up? What's going on? And I look down and realize I'm playing in the wrong key. It's me. And after going through the whole room, Blaming everybody else, I realize that I'm the one who's messing this song up. I'm the one who's ruining this praise moment. But you know what? That's not what praise is. Praise at its basic function is is an expression of approval or admiration. We praise God, but we also praise our children, don't we? When they do something well, we say, great job, I'm so proud of you. We show them approval, we show them admiration. We praise our spouses, don't we? We praise our co-workers at times. We even praise our dogs, right? When they do what we tell them to do, we praise our dogs, but we don't ever praise our cats. That's just, right? We never praise our cats. But we praise our dogs at times. But you know, does God need our approval or our admiration, No, he doesn't need our approval, but he does impressive things all the time that are worthy of praise and admiration. Praise is an expression of worship. And worship begins with the motivation of loving and honoring God. And that motivation must have an expression. And praise is one of those expressions that completes our worship giving thanks and adoration and, and approval to the things that God has done. It's one, it's one of those expressions that completes our worship. But we have been deceived, most of the church have been deceived into thinking that we can praise God without expressing our praise to God. And we cannot, church. I'm, I'm going to tell you up front that by its very definition, praise must include expression. It has to be expressed. But many people have been trained by bad theology that it's okay for us to stand and praise with arms crossed, with our mouths shut, staring up to the ceiling. Or maybe you're one of those people who come to church 20 minutes late because you want to miss the music portion of church and you're just you just here for the word of God, right? We've been trained by bad theology that that's okay. Have I stepped on any toes yet? Yeah? Okay, good. Here we go. Now, I'm going to admit that I don't always feel like praising God. You know, sometimes the music, it's just not my cup of tea, right? And, and I'm distracted sometimes by the lights or maybe the volume or something is happening at home and my mind is, is preoccupied. I'm thinking about stuff that's happening at home. I don't always feel like praising God. But let's clear this morning that praise is not a feeling. It's an expression, and it must be expressed to be considered praise. I'm going to take it even a step farther. It must be expressed for God to accept praise. Praise, by its definition, is an expression of love and worship. We're going to read Psalm 100 now. If you've got your Bibles open, I'm reading from the NIV. It's a short psalm, but it's a good psalm. Here we go. Psalm 100. Shout for the Lord! To the earth. to wake you up? Yeah. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations." This is a psalm that most likely would have been sung as people were arriving at the temple to worship God or arriving at the tabernacle to worship God. And there are many different Greek and Hebrew words that are translated praise and worship in our Bible. There's many of them. We could spend a whole series talking about all the, we could spend half a year talking about all the words, uh, uh that, that are about praise and worship in the Bible. But in this, in this, uh, psalm in particular that we just read we're going to talk about four that are mentioned in this psalm that we just read and they're all four of them are found in verse four which says this we're going to put it up on the screen it says enter his gates with todah and his courts with tahila give thanks yada to him and barak his name bless his name we got there we go it's up on the screen The first word that we just read there is is the the word that's translated from Thanksgiving. It's the word Todah. And this word is powerful. This word Todah is, is a praise that is musical by nature, but it's sacrificial in its essence. And it means that this type of praise costs us something to bring it to God. It costs us something. We bring a sacrifice of praise, it's not easy. It's not cheap, it's a sacrifice. It costs us something to bring Todah to the Lord. And we need to understand that praise and worship by their very nature involve giving. When we praise and worship God, it involves this giving of ourselves, the sacrifice of praise to the Lord. We bring a sacrifice of praise to the house of the Lord. The words uh, that you see in this verse that enter into his gates and his courts with praise. These words gates and courts, they identify someone who is arriving or coming to the tabernacle to worship, the house of the Lord. And if you're unfamiliar with what the tabernacle was, the tabernacle was essentially a portable tent and God gave Moses very specific instructions for how to build this tabernacle and it was gonna be the house of the Lord where they kept his presence in the Ark of the Covenant and it's where God dwelt. And so when people would come to make sacrifices, or worship the lord they would enter through the gates coming to the house of the lord and you know a hebrew a first century first century jew would never come to the tabernacle would never come to the house of the lord empty-handed they always brought something whether it was a tithe, whether it was an offering, maybe it was a sacrifice of praise for a newborn child and they were coming to say thanks to the Lord, or maybe they were leading an animal to its death because this animal was about to pay, the was about to spill their blood for their sin. But a person never came to the house of the Lord empty-handed. When we praise God, we're bringing him a sacrifice and it costs us something or else it wouldn't be a sacrifice. It might cost you your comfort. It might cost you your convenience. It might cost you your reputation. It might cost you something even greater than that, but when we bring praise to the Lord, it's a sacrifice. This word todah, it means to bring a sacrifice of praise, and so Psalm 104 says, enter his gates with a sacrifice of praise. Let it cost you something bring something that is going to cost you something the second word that we see in verse 4 is is tahila enter his courts with praise tahila no not tequila tahila although the the definition kind of sounds like somebody has been drinking tequila when we talk about what tahila is tahila means enthusiastic praise it means to go crazy to bring fame to somebody to make somebody known it's public praise it's public adoration it's like it's like when you go crazy when your team wins the super bowl and you get excited or you see your favorite celebrity walking down the street and people go oh my gosh i love you oh can you sign my shirt can you sign my arm can you sign my forehead and we just go crazy because we see somebody that we love and we admire it's this it's this to go crazy, heal, this public praise, this public adoration. See, some people, they would say that they, pres- they prefer to reserve praise for when they are alone in worship. But the Bible makes it clear that there's an aspect of our praise that needs to be public, And bring fame to Jesus. That we need to show the earth how much we love Jesus. And to bring our praise out into the open for everyone to see. That's why we clap our hands. That's why we raise, that's why we jump up and down sometimes. Some of you didn't realize that you were at a charismatic church. But, but believe me, you are at a charismatic church. We believe in giving worship to God because you know what? The Bible says that, that King David, he danced naked before the Lord. Now, if that's not charismatic, I don't know what is, and, and, and don't worry, we're not gonna make you dance naked before the Lord, okay? So keep your clothes on at church, people. But yesterday, yesterday, I was, I, I come here on Saturday and I go over my message a couple times, so I was in my office and I was, I was feeling just, I just was, I was feeling the Lord's presence. As, we're, as I'm talking about praise, and I just begin to give him praise and in my office. And I'm, I'm alone. Nobody's there watching me, but I give him praise. And, and I go out, and i got to run some errands afterwards, so I go to Safeway, and I'm in the gas station. I'm at the gas station. I'm pumping gas into my car, and the Lord told me, as I'm standing there pumping gas, give me a sacrifice of praise right here, right now. Make it loud. Bring fame. Make it public. And I'm like, there's people <laughs> pumping gas right next to me. And I'm like lord right here like what if god but but your word says you know I, we bring it to the house of the lord like you know when i enter the gates in the courts like i'm supposed to praise in the house of the lord i'm at a gas station and the lord just told me like where's the house of the lord now come on where's the house of the lord and i went oh man you got me god Bible says that you are the house of the Lord, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that where you go, the presence of God goes, and you bring praise to the house of the Lord. You enter his gates and his courts with thanksgiving and praise. And I'm standing there, and I'm like, God, right now? And he goes, yeah, I want it to cost you something. Like, let it be a sacrifice. So I'm pumping gas, and I'm looking around, and there's people next to me, and I start really quiet. I, I, I picked up an old song. I just, this old song started rattling in my head, so I, I bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. I bring a sacrifice of praise. And I kind of finish up, and I get in the car, and I close the door, and God goes, now, did that cost you something? And I was like, no. He says, get out of the car and try it again. I'm done pumping my gas, everybody. I'm sitting in my car for about two minutes wondering, do I really want to do this right now? Because this is, is going to make me look... You know, if somebody, somebody watches our thing online and go, hey, that's the guy I saw singing at the gas station. Aren't you the pastor afraid of it. For... Yeah, okay, whatever. So I get out of my car and I just... I stared at my, I stared at my driver's seat. I didn't look at anybody. And I just went, Whoo! I'll bring a sacrifice of praise Into your house, Lord my God. He says, do it again. (laughs) I'll bring a sacrifice of praise into his house, Lord my God. Get in the car, shut the door. (laughs) And God said, that's what I'm talking about. I felt ridiculous. I felt embarrassed. But it had to cost me something. I felt like the Lord was saying, It has to cost you something. I want you to bring fame to my name. You know, Christians have become so timid. We've become so afraid of offending other people because, you know what, if they believe something different, you know, I don't want to push my belief onto them. I don't want to make them feel like I'm shoving the gospel down their throat. And we become timid and we become afraid. But when we give public praise to God, it brings glory to his name. It gives glory to Jesus. And so, so I got in my car and I started driving away and I forgot that I actually needed to go into Safeway to continue shopping. So I turned around and came back into Safeway and saw all the people in the store. And I actually ran into Varee, Doran. Yeah, I ran into Varee and that's why, I had that, that's why I had a stupid smile on my face. Yes, I was wondering, did she just see that? But Tahila, it's enthusiastic praise. It's to give him fame, to give him glory, to make it public. The next word that we see in verse four is the word yada. Yada, it means to worship with extended hands, to raise your hands to heaven. I have a three, excuse me, I've got a bunch of kids, but I got a two-year-old right now who still, she, she walks up to me and just raises her hands, wants me to pick her up. And you know, when we come to God and we raise our hands to him, It's this act of, of, of surrender. I mean, I've never been in this situation, but when the police show up and they say, freeze, what do you do? Put your hands up. I surrender. I'm going to comply. I'm going to do what you want me to do. When we lift our hands to heaven, it's an act of surrender, but it's also this act of intimacy where we're saying, God, I just want to be with you. I want to be, I want you to hold me. I want you to, I want you to come and pick me up and I want to be with you right now. It's this explosive expression. Yada, to raise your hands to heaven. And the last word that we see in verse 4 is the word Barak. And it's used to denote blessing, but it, it means to praise and adore God by kneeling down to Him, by taking a posture of humility and kneeling before the Lord, blessing His name by humbling yourself before the Lord, by kneeling down to Him. You know, God. There was a point in Israel's history where he told Moses, You take the Israelites into the promised land, but I'm not coming with them because they're a stiff necked people. What does stiff necked mean? Well, why don't you try something with me? I want you to flex your neck, your neck muscles. Flex, flex your neck muscles as hard as you can without hurting yourself. Just flex your neck, your neck muscles. Take your hand and, and try to push your head down while you're flexing your neck muscles. You're stiff necked stiff-necked person is somebody who refuses to bow. They refuse to humble themselves. They refuse to admit that they need help, that they need a savior. They they refuse to admit that there's somebody who's greater than them, somebody who can help, somebody who's worthy of praise. A stiff-necked people will not bow, but a person who praises with Barak, they get on their knees and they say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on they offer up a sacrifice of praise, of blessing to the Lord by kneeling down to Him. So if we read Psalms 104 again through the Blake translation, this is what it says. Enter His gates with a sacrifice of praise. Let it cost you something, church. And enter His courts with public fame and public adoration. Make a shout. Go crazy for the Lord. Give Thanks to him by raising your hands up to heaven. Show him that you surrender to him and get on your knees. Bless him, showing that you are a humble people, that you need a savior, that you need his help. This is how, you see how expressive praise is in the Bible. When we read the original Hebrew words that praise involves all of us. It involves our whole being. It involves our minds and our emotions and our bodies and and we just get all into it, it's to give praise. But we've lost, we've lost that picture of praise somewhere down the road, haven't we? we become a stubborn people at times. We become prideful, and we don't want to push our, our views or opinions on other people, and we forget that we serve a God who is just worthy of our praise, regardless of what's happening in our world, regardless of what's happening in your life. We serve a God who's worthy of our praise. Praise is powerful, church. It's so powerful. And today I want to talk about five benefits of praise. These are not the only benefits, but today I want to talk about just five powerful benefits of praise. And the first one is this, that God shows up when his people praise him. God shows up when his people praise him. That's number one. Psalm 22.3 says, says Yet you are holy, you who are enthroned, Upon the praises of Israel. The King James Version says that he in, inhabits the praises of his people. But let's stick with this first translation. He is enthroned upon our praises. He's enthroned upon our praises. Some of you are wondering what this crazy tiny chair is doing up here. The Bible says that God is enthroned upon our praises. And our praises build a seat of honor for our Lord to come and rest on. But oftentimes, our praise amounts to something like this. And we say, God, we want you to be enthroned upon the praises of your people. We want you to inhabit the praises of your people. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. I'm hungry. Let's get some lunch. Praise you, God. And God comes and says, you want me to be enthroned upon that? You want, me, you want me to sit here? Oh, yeah, God, I've prepared a throne for you. I'm, I'm singing praises to you. God goes, are you sure this is going to hold my weight? Are you sure this is going to hold my glory? No, my word says that I am enthroned upon the praises of, his, of, his, of my people. Oftentimes, our praises amount to this size of a throne, and we get more excited about vacation or a football game than we do honoring Jesus Church, we serve a big God. Are we building a throne that's big enough to hold his weight? And my question for you is this, this morning, church, is how much God do you want? How much God do you want? Because this tiny chair is not going to enthrone the Mount of God that I want. I want to see God move in this church. I want to see revival happen. I want to see the presence of God manifest in this church and people set free from addictions and healed and I want to see the glory of God fall. But that kind of glory is going to require praise that's big enough to hold his weight. God comes where he is welcomed. He comes where he is praised. He, in, he inhabits the praises of his people. How much God do you want? I don't want to be a church that doesn't provide a throne big enough for Jesus to inhabit. Because without Jesus, church is just religion. It's just a social club. It's just spiritual death. But where Jesus is, anything can happen. Amen? Praise creates a meeting place for the Lord to be with his people. So praise the Lord, church. Let's let's be a church that creates a space for the Lord to inhabit. That creates a throne that's going to hold the weight of his glory. God inhabits the praises of his people. That's the first thing. That God shows up when his people praise him. The second thing is this. Praise is a weapon of spiritual warfare. It's a weapon of spiritual warfare. Psalm 8, chapter 2. Jesus quoted this as he was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. He says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. You know that Satan is dumbfounded by praise. Why? Because Satan's main strategy, the enemy's main strategy is to lie, is to deceive you, is to trick you and twist the word of God, twist the truth. But praise is pure truth. It's pure truth. It's declaring who God is in the midst of every season, in the midst of confusion and discouragement. Praise cuts through all of that. It's pure truth. And it not only refutes lies, but it slaps the devil in the mouth. It says it silences the foe. It makes the devil shut up. Praise is powerful in the mouths of children because they still believe in what they're singing. It's just innocent faith there's no guile there's no there's no they don't believe that god's trying to deceive them or or trick them god wants us to know that even a child can slap the devil silly with praise now what do you think a mature believer can do with that same weapon somebody who is armored up and uses the word of god daily who praises god daily Praise is a powerful weapon of spiritual warfare. There's this amazing story in the book of seven, uh, excuse me, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the king of Judah, King Jehoshaphat, he's being threatened by three armies, and the situation that he's in just seems hopeless. So Jehoshaphat and all of Judah, they come together and they praise the Lord. And in verse 6, they begin to sing and offer up praise to the Lord even before they win the victory. They give thanks to him before the victory is won. And then in verse 14 of chapter 20, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 14, God tells them not to fear and that the battle belongs to the Lord. And this is what happens starting in verse 20 of chapter 20. It says, early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa and they set out. Jehoshaphat stood still. And said listen to me Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. King Jehoshaphat is being threatened by three different armies, and he doesn't send out his chariots. He doesn't send out his archers. Guess who he sends out? The worship team. He sends out the worship team. And says, you guys go ahead and just begin to give praise to God because the victory belongs to the Lord. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sarah who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Sarah to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Sarah, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army. They saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. The victory belongs to the Lord, and praise is a powerful weapon of spiritual warfare. When we praise God, it puts everything into perspective, which is the third point today, is that praise aligns us with heaven. When you begin to praise God, you begin to see things from heaven's perspective. It reveals the pettiness of our enemy, the smallness of our circumstances by focusing on how big God is and how great and, and, the, and the, the things that he can do in your life. When you begin to praise him, you enlarge God in your life and the things that you worry about become smaller and smaller. If we want the things of heaven to happen on earth, we must do on earth the things that are being done in heaven. What's happening in heaven right now? Praise and worship. That's right. The only thing that we can guarantee is happening at every moment for the rest of our eternal existence is that God is on the throne being praised. All the time. Now, I don't want to bust anybody's bubble here, but if you don't like to praise God, maybe you're one of those who come to church a little bit later to skip the music portion. I'm not sure how much you're going to like heaven. You might want to pass. I don't mean that. <laughs> I kind of do, but, but I don't. But praise is the only thing that is that we know for a fact is happening all the time in heaven. God inhabits the praises of his people. It puts us in alignment with the things of heaven. Now granted, the music in heaven is most likely a lot better than what we have here on earth. A lot better than what I can do. But regardless of the music, we still praise God in a way that establishes his throne among us. Because ultimately the the praise, praise isn't about, praise includes music. In fact, some of the other Hebrew words, one of the Hebrew words for praise is zamar. And it means to worship with stringed instruments and and harps and lyres and guitars. And and it, it talks about music. That praise includes music. But praise is, is, is giving God the adoration and the admiration, the approval that he, because he is worthy and he has done great things in our life, regardless of how we feel, regardless of how we like the music, re- whatever it is, that praise aligns us with heaven. It puts the right things into perspective. The fourth thing is this. Praise is evangelistic. It's evangelistic. Psalm 40 Verse 3 says, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Right before this verse, it, it speaks of God pulling us from this pit and setting our feet on solid ground. That, church, is a testimony. You, if you know Jesus, have a testimony. And if you have a testimony, you have something to sing about you have a new song. You have a praise song that God wants you to sing and tell the world about publicly. Verse three says that many will see in fear. Fear what? They will fear that God is real. When they hear you singing your song and your testimony and your encounter with God, They fear that there is actually a king on the throne, that Jesus saves, that hell is defeated, that sin is crushed, that judgment is coming, and the king is worthy to reign in their life. That is a reason to fear. Praise is evangelistic because it demands a response. When people see you praise as a result of your story, they're faced to make a decision. Is the gospel true or not? Is that person actually having an encounter with God, or are they just crazy? It's Probably what those people at the gas station were thinking. (laughs) Is this guy for real? Praise is evangelistic because it demands a response from people. Is Jesus who he said he was, or is he not? These people who follow him are sure faithful. They go crazy because of what God has done in their life. See, a person of praise is a walking, talking altar call. They bring the house of God, a meeting place for people to meet with the Lord. Wherever they go, they bring that with them. And when they praise God publicly, people around have to make a decision. It's evangelistic because it demands a response from people. And the last thing is this. Praise is a teaching tool. What do I mean by that? Colossians 3.16 Paul writes this Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another through how? Through, with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let me ask, how many scriptures do you have memorized? If I'm honest, I don't have a lot memorized. I can kind of give you a ballpark with where to find scriptures. But I haven't committed to memory as many scriptures as I would like to commit to memory. But if you ask me how many songs I have memorized, I've got a lot of songs memorized. Anybody got a lot of songs memorized? See, most of the scri- excuse me, yeah, most of the scripture that people have committed to memory are the ones that people have put music to. Because music is such a powerful mnemonic device. It's a powerful memory tool. It helps us remember the word of God. It's a teaching tool. It's why we we teach our kids the ABCs in song form. My wife has the United States of America, all the states memorized in song form. It's a powerful teaching tool. And that's why the Psalms are an ancient hymn book. The 150 Psalms that we see are over 3,000 years old and they were all set to music. They were all they were all created with the intent of saturating the hearts of God's people, of getting the word, of getting his promises into people's hearts so that they can walk around or plow the field or be with their family and a, a song, a melody would hop in their head and they begin to sing the word of God and remember the blessings of God and remember the commands of God and remember his promises to them that's what music does it's a teaching tool praise when we praise God it gets the word of God into our heart it teaches us to follow God by submitting ourselves to him with expressive praise and 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 and, and listening to those lyrics and letting them sink in deep into our soul and into our minds so that when we lie in bed at night, it's even rolling around in our head. It's the song that never ends. It just goes on and on. I'm sorry. I'm, don't, I hope you don't walk away with that song in your head. <laughs> These are just a few of the benefits of praise, church. Praise is powerful. But the bottom line is that although praise has benefits that we can enjoy, praise is not about us. It's not about you. It's not for you. It has nothing to do with how you feel on a particular day. Praise is expressing your love and devotion and admiration to God who saved you. In a minute, we're gonna close with some songs of praise, and I'm not gonna ask you to do anything ridiculous. I'm gonna let the Lord speak to you, speak to your heart, and if he's asking you to do something that's out of your comfort zone. or something that you haven't do. I want to give you permission and room to praise him in a way that you see fit. To praise him in the way that he's asking you to praise him today. We're going to end with songs of praise, but before we sing, we're going to take communion together. We're going to take communion together. First century Jews. If you're unfamiliar with communion, or or um, you, you've never taken communion before, let me explain a little bit about this. That. Uh, First century Jews would celebrate their exodus from Egypt uh, with a celebration called the Passover. And during this time of reflection and celebration, the first century Jews, and still practicing Jews to this day, they would drink from four cups Every Passover meal, it was a practice. They drink from four cups, and each cup is filled with wine and represents uh, a different aspect of their deliverance, of their exodus out of Egypt. And these four cups are this. The first one is the cup of sanctification. The second one is the cup of deliverance. The third cup is the cup of redemption. And the fourth cup is the cup of praise. And the night that Jesus was arrested, He's sharing the Last Supper with his disciples. He's having a Passover meal with his disciples. So there is no reason, and many scholars would say that there is no reason to think that Jesus didn't drink from all four of these cups. And when we read the story of the Last Supper, you know, we, we kind of see one cup that he passes around. But, but, but tradition, Hebrew practice of Passover was that you drink from all four cups. Sanctification, deliverance, redemption, and praise. And most scholars would agree that the cup that Jesus was holding in his hand was the cup of redemption when he said that this is my blood of the covenant that is going to be poured out for you. So he drinks from this cup of redemption with all of his disciples. That was the third cup, but there was a fourth cup, church, that they drank from afterwards, and that was the cup of praise. You know, I never caught this before yesterday when I was studying for this message. But in fact, you can read in Matthew 26, verse 30, it says that before they went to the Mount of Olives, Jesus had just got done wiping or, or washing their feet. So Jesus gets on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. He breaks bread with them. He, he drinks from this cup with them, from all four cups with them. He, and and he, he tells them, this is my blood that is shed for you. And Judas, he goes off to betray Jesus But then in verse 30 of Matthew 26, it says that before they went to the Mount of Olives, they sang songs and praised God together. They hung out for a bit more, and they praised God. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Imagine the the praise in this moment, where their their God and their King, their, their Savior, has just got done washing their feet, and just got done telling them that, hey, I've cleansed you. Your whole body is clean. It's only your feet that need washing because you go through the day and your feet get dirty again. And for those of us who know Jesus, our, our sins have been atoned for. Jesus' blood has washed your sins away. You are clean, but we still make mistakes, don't we? We still do things. We st- our feet still get dirty and we need to come before the Lord and allow him to wash us once again. This is what communion represents, Church. It's the daily washing of the word and remembering, Jesus, you paid a price to forgive me of my sins and I once again align myself with you and I say thank you for what you did. So they took communion together and then they praised God. So church, I want you to take the bread. The bread, Jesus broke the bread and he said that this is my body. Isaiah 53 says that his body was bruised for your transgressions. It was Beaten for your iniquities. That he was crushed so that your body could be healed, could be whole. God not not only desires to save your spirit, he not only desires to save the inside of you, he desires to save the outside of you as well. When you come to faith in Jesus, he saves all of you. And whether it's on this earth or the next life, God says he will give you a new body. He broke his body so that your body could be whole. And so Jesus said, take this in remembrance of me. So Jesus, we thank you for your body. We thank you that you were crushed for us. And that you told us that, God, we not only share in your death, but we share in your resurrection. And you've traded Our sin, our brokenness, our physical bodies, our physical brokenness, our mental and emotional things. God, you've you've traded those for joy, for healing, for freedom. And God, we thank you for that. We We declare that over our life in faith today. Jesus, we love you and we receive your body. Church, let's take this together. The cup, Jesus said, would represent his blood that was about to be spilled on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins like I said before, for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, we're already clean. He's forgiven us. We belong to him. But we still make mistakes. We still need to come to him and say, Jesus, I messed up again. Would you help me start over? So, Jesus, we come before you realizing that our righteousness, our good deeds are just insufficient. That they don't measure up. We've, we try, we try, we try to pray harder, to read our Bible more, to be good to people. But Lord, it says that our righteousness are like filthy rags compared to you. So Father, we humble ourselves before you. We praise you in Barak. God, we, we, we kneel before you, Jesus. We submit ourselves to you and, and we thank you for your blood that cleanses us. In Jesus' name, let's take this together, church. We're going to sing a couple more songs of praise, but first, let me remind you that praise is expressive. Praise is expressive, and the Bible associates praise with shouts and claps and lifting hands and, and dancing and kneeling in church. I'm I'm not a fan of you know I, I I've always I've always been the more, more reserved type, but 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 I just believe that God is calling His people to be proud of him and to not be ashamed and to be loud for him, to give him praise and and to make, to create a throne that he can sit upon, that his weight and his glory can sit upon. You know what the last of, excuse me, that was my bad, the very last verse in the book of Psalms, Psalms 150 verse 6, you know what it says? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And it says again, "Praise the Lord. Church with you, would you stand with me? We're going to praise the Lord.